630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. He blitzes right past Marshawn to the net. Dishes. What timer score? Leon Dreisaitl. What a play by McDavid. Riley takes the snap. He looks to the right side. He's throwing to the end zone. There it is. Touchdown Eskimos. Duke Williams. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. In Pittsburgh tonight, the Penguins lead the Jets 2-0 early in the second period. In the first, no score. Predators and Red Wings while the Hurricanes are up 2-0 on Columbus. Coming up later tonight, the Capitals play the Stars. Rangers in Colorado. Devils take on the Coyotes. And the Golden Knights will meet the Anaheim Ducks. The Oilers visit the Ducks on Sunday. But first, they play the Los Angeles Kings tomorrow night. It's on 6.30. Chad, 6.30 face-off show. The game will start at 8. And Alex Chason having a dream season. 16 goals already this year. Will be back after hurting his knee December 27th against Vancouver. It's going to be sore for a little bit. Uh, my range of motion uh, may take a little longer to, to, to get to 100%, but um, I just think the last, uh, including today, it's four days of, of skating, and I think uh, uh, my body adapted to everything really well. And, um, like I said, I think it's also a confidence thing uh, just for me uh, going on the ice and feeling confident and, and I can go out and play and more so help the team. So the Oilers practiced today and Chason was on the right side with Nugent Hopkins and Reader. Cassian stayed up there with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Kara centered Lucic and Pugliarvi and then you had a rotation. Brodziak, Gambardella, Raddy and Spooner. I know Bob Stoffer put on Twitter that he wouldn't be surprised to see Spooner on that line tomorrow and you could see Gambardella go back down to the Bakersfield Condors. Chris Russell was a uh, full participant in practice today. Coach Ken Hitchcock said no setbacks for Russell so maybe he finally gets back in the lineup tomorrow. He's missed the last nine with an undisclosed injury. Kyler Yamamoto did not practice. He's been day-to-day with an upper body injury and Matthew Benning on defense is actually back in Edmonton for his grandpa Elmer Benning's funeral but uh, Matt expected to rejoin the Oilers soon. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is 6.08. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 6.30. Chet. My name is Reed Wilkins, and frustrated fan just uh, texted in. He said, before you start your show, Reed, let's have a moment of silence for the water tower in your old hometown. Yes, the uh, water tower in Evansburg demolished today. Frustrated fan, thank you for checking in with that tidbit of information. The water tower very close to Evansview Elementary School, where I went to grades through grades one through six. Thank you for that frustrated fan. You never know what people are going to text in to 630-630. You can call 780-496-0063. We have Kelly Rudy coming up right away. The second World Junior semifinal in Vancouver is underway. Uh, It just started, Finland and Switzerland. We will keep you updated. The United States moving on to the gold medal game, beating Russia 2-1 this afternoon. American goalie Caden Primo stopping 35 shots. And Oilers draft pick Philip Kemp pulling a likely Russian goal 
right off the goal line that would have tied it 2-2 in the third period. So he made a big play, and the U.S. moves on to the final. As for the Edmonton Eskimos, they have released receiver Duke Williams so he can pursue NFL opportunities. If and when he signs, he would be the third Eskimo to sign with an NFL team this offseason. Jake Ceresna, defensive lineman, has signed with the New York Giants, and defensive back Mercy Mastin has signed with the Philadelphia Eagles. So Duke Williams, big year for the Eskimos, made a lot of big plays, led the league in receiving 1,579 yards, also had 11 touchdowns. Uh, so it looks like uh, he's going to be likely... Signed to an NFL team very, very soon. So that's a loss for the Eskimos receiving core. We'll see what happens with Bryant Mitchell, who played very well when he got an opportunity. He's been getting some NFL tryouts as well. They, of course, uh, still have Darrell Walker hanging around. But, uh, yeah, that's a tough one to see Duke go. Edmonton Oil Kings in action tonight. They will be taking on Victoria, 7 o'clock at Rogers Place. And the U of A Golden Bears back at it tonight against the Manitoba Bisons at Claire Drake Arena. We had uh, head coach Ian Herbers on the show last night as the Finns are on the board just 40 seconds in centering pass one timer inside the post goal one nothing Finland jumps ahead of Switzerland this portion of the show presented by Furnace Family your 24-7 furnace repair and replacement specialist call 7804-FAMILY or check them out online at FurnaceFamily.com we will take a quick timeout. it is 6-11 and then our weekly visit with Kelly Rudy when we get back Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Fast start for the Finns World Junior Semifinal. Now 2-0 leading Switzerland. The game is only 2 minutes and 55 seconds old. The winner will face the United States for the gold medal in Vancouver. Edmonton Oilers news practice today, getting ready for L.A. tomorrow. Alex Chason ready to go. He got hurt on December 27th against Vancouver. Chason had an incredible year with 16 goals, already a career high. He's played just 31 games. Here's head coach Ken Hitchcock. Yeah, we don't look at it so much from the goals. The goals are going to come and go. He's obviously has a hot stick right now, but I don't know if that's going to transport to the next game but he's a real good player for us he manages the game he's he's really good complimentary player he's good on the power play so we get a multi-dimensional player back in and then uh, we'll see russell practice full today uh with no uh no setback so we'll see how chris is for tomorrow and see if he's ready to go also all right a little bit there from uh, hitch as we get you ready for the oilers and kings tomorrow night got a text right off the top of the show from frustrated fan a loyal listener and trust me he is a frustrated fan uh commemorating the water tower in the town i grew up in evansburg coming down today another texter says that the water tower in redwater came down last year and i also just did a google during the break the water tower in wildwood not far from evansburg is scheduled to come down as well so we got some water tower sadness tonight on the show not where i was expecting it to go save our water towers save our water well i don't know if they're not being used what do you do oh that's a good point they're landmarks i guess though people get you i'm pretty sure the water tower would have been the tallest building well tallest structure in evansburg like there's like an apartment building that's three stories high, though I haven't been back for a while. Anyway, uh, thank you for your water tower-related texts. We will keep people updated on that throughout the evening. Hey, Kelly Rudy, he's going to be the coach for Team Or. 
at the upcoming CHL-NHL top prospects game. It's going to be January 23rd in Red Deer. Kelly, for back on the show for the first time this year. Kelly, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Reading yourself? I'm doing great. Now, are, do, can I still call you Kelly, or do I need to call you Coach Rudy to show a little more respect, or what's what's the protocol here? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, you know, I'm very excited. This is my second time uh, coaching the Prospects game. I Back in uh, 2002, uh, I coached it as well, and that was a, a really fun experience. Now, that one was uh, you know, I, I, of course, I don't know how I'm going to react this year, but back then I think I was more involved than I think I will be this year because uh, it's been so long. I've only, when I coached in 2002, I'd only been out of the game for about three, four years. And so I still felt really connected. And I think some of the kids might've known me and so on. So this one's going to be a little bit different. I'm far removed from uh, being on the bench and that kind of stuff. So I'm going to rely heavily on my assistants, and I'm just going to sort of uh, chime in every once in a while. But I am super excited about it. I was stoked when uh, Ron Robinson from the Western Hockey League called me and asked if I'd be interested. And uh, uh, Ron McLean, my buddy's uh, also one of the coaches. So it's going to be a good time for sure. Yeah, well, it'll be fun. I mean, there's going to be so much energy with the players because that's such an exciting day for them. And I imagine, yeah. I, mean, I don't know, like, do you think you'll probably just more – be uh, telling a couple stories and and keeping everybody relaxed more than probably diagramming plays here and there? Yeah, oh, oh totally. But, you know, I will have uh, one rule. Uh, I thought about this because I had one rule when I coached uh, in 2002, and it was because it's a prospect game, and so this is important for everybody, right? So I wanted to roll all the lines, and what I, what I asked everybody was, what you don't do, otherwise there will be a punishment, don't extend your shift. Make this so that everybody gets as basically as equal a time as possible. And uh, I had one guy that uh, wouldn't uh, listen, and uh, he drove me crazy. I told him uh, that. And, you know, furthermore, Reed, I, I, you know, I want all these kids to get drafted and have a long NHL career. And uh, I went to the length of uh, telling a number of scouts after the game, uh, don't draft this kid. He's, uh, he won't listen. He's not a good kid. And, uh, you know, I, I, much to my surprise, a team did draft him fairly high, and uh, he never did have uh, a sort of a significant NHL career. In fact, I'd say it a terrible career, and I won't say his name, but, uh, you know, that's just an example of that's the only thing I want to go in there with. I'll leave the, uh, the real coaching uh, systems and so on to the other coaches, but, you know, there, there has to be a respect level for everybody that's there and on your team. And if you don't show that, that stands out to me as a big red flag. Mm, well, that's an interesting interesting tidbit that uh, gave you an indication of what might be to come or not to come with that player. Good stuff. Well, enjoy that experience, yep. Kelly. I'm happy for you that you're doing that. Uh, as for the Edmonton Oilers, uh, rough patch. They did get a win against Arizona. Made a couple of trades on the weekend. And Brandon Manning obviously has had this conflict with Connor McDavid ever since uh, they crashed into the boards and the collarbone injury and some lipping off back and forth in games since then. I know Peter Shirelli said even as far back as last year, he got the okay for McDavid yeah. to potentially add Manning to the team, which eventually did happen. You know, I know I've been asked about it a lot. That all the players are downplaying it. I think that's part of the game is that you could eventually wind up as a teammate with a guy you might have might have battled uh did you ever have that experience so where you, you had to all of a sudden 
be on the same team as a guy that you thought, oh man, I I really didn't get along with this guy, or how is this going to work now? He's a teammate. Oh, tons. Uh, I I wrote down a few examples. I won't go through them all, but you know, I think first of all, my examples would be different, or my situation would be different than McDavid and Manning because of the uh, the injury, and so that's a, a different circumstance, but. Certainly lots of bad blood. I remember, man, for years and years when I was playing for L.A. and Tim Hunter was in uh, Calgary. Oh, my gosh. And then when he went to Vancouver, we screamed at each other all game long, it seemed. And we were – I couldn't ever imagine a day in which we would somehow become friends. And then uh, we ended up both signing in San Jose as free agents in 1996 together and played together for two years. And uh, we got along so well. In fact, we joked about it and we were – carpooling often so much to my surprise you know you think of uh, here's a guy that uh, he might be a, a bitter enemy my entire life and turned out to be a wonderful friend and a great guy and uh, I also think of Ron Hextall I was playing for uh, the Islanders and he of course is playing for Philly and that in itself is a real bitter rival and uh, and much to my surprise when we both played for uh, team in Canada Cup Grant uh, was playing all the games, and Hexy and I uh, were fast friends, and we remain so uh, to this day. And uh, then I think of a, there's an example, though. I tried to find one. I could. I was thinking hard. I knew there was this guy that we traded for it when I was in L.A., and it was he was from Quebec, and I couldn't remember his name. And then I did the hockey DB, and then I researched him a little bit. There's a guy by the name of Dave Carpa that he played for. Uh, Quebec, like I said, he had some sort of wrist injury, but we traded for him, and then the uh, trade was uh, uh, void uh, for some particular reason, a medical issue, I think, with his wrist again. He ended up having surgery, and then uh, I think Quebec was able to trade him to Anaheim instead of us. And so, anyways, the point I'm trying to make, he was with us for a few days, and he must not have liked me because when he started playing for Anaheim and I was still with L.A. and we had a pretty good rivalry going with them, he trash-talked me like nobody's business. He was ruthless to me. So oh, I, don't know, I don't know what happened when he was uh, spent those few days in L.A., but he certainly didn't take a liking to me. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I, I don't know if uh, he was just trying to get under my skin or if he really meant it, but it uh, really caught me by surprise. I could tell you that much. <laughs> well, that might be Dave Carpa's claim to fame. I don't, th- <laughs> I don't know if we've <laughs> talked about him on the show before, but uh, he left an impression one way or another for sure. <laughs> Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports, former NHL goaltender, now a broadcaster with Rogers and our, our weekly feature guest here on the show. Uh, great stories there about guys uh, you wound up connecting with. Obviously, for for the Oilers, uh, the the goal scoring column is uh, generally Dry Settler, McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, and Chase yeah. on when healthy. And it looks like he's going to be back tomorrow. Uh, you know, Kyle Brodziak uh, talked before they went on the road trip, and he said, "Yeah, of course you're sitting there on the bench thinking to yourself, what if the rest of us just did a little bit more when it's generally three guys scoring? I mean, they're, you know, they're still hanging around. They're 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 not out of it. Uh, they're obviously going to need goaltending like most teams will. But I wonder what it's like for those some of those depth guys. And Brodziak kind of put it into words. You're thinking like, geez, what if I just had you know five goals instead of three, or or you know." Two instead of zero for a guy like Reader, uh, you, you know, it, it's because it, it's kind of obvious that's one of the big things holding the Oilers back from being higher in the standings. 
Well, I don't. Well, see, this is uh, this is so typical of what I think uh, can go wrong with an athlete when you start to doubt, or if you start to say, "Well, what if this happened?" or "What if I did this?" or "What if we each did?" You know, and once that doubt enters your mind, and I don't know how you could turn that around because, well, I was never in a scoring slump, but I was in a uh, puck stopping slump, and it's amazing how negatively your brain starts to think, and it goes around in a loop, and it just goes round and round and round. Instead of, wouldn't it be great if you could if somebody talk to those Oilers players and somehow put a positive spin on it? Like this is going to be your game, this is going to be your day, this is going to be your week or your month or whatever. Just start getting positive vibes going around instead of. You know, as you mentioned, there's only basically four guys scoring and everybody else is doubting themselves. And, and I don't know if there is a formula for that. I don't know if that's uh, uh, too deep a psychology or too fluffy. I don't know, but there's something definitely wrong with the mindset. And it just and it's not only the Oilers, it's all teams that are struggling. Then they start to doubt. You look at, you know, I'll give you another example of how it really affects and, and can be great players. So L.A., they're having a terrible year. Drew Doughty happens to be my favorite defenseman in the National Hockey League, but he's not having a good season. And you know why? He's so frustrated. He gets so mad all the time, and he can't get through it. So he's he's played okay, but not to the degree that uh, we've been used to watching him. So, you know, it, it's an interesting thing when you start to struggle and it goes through the lineup, and then everybody's mad, everybody hates each other, and uh, and then next thing you know, everybody's making excuses. Yeah, well, hopefully someone on the Oilers starts uh, potting the odd one uh, now and then, maybe against the Kings tomorrow night. Hey, Kelly, great yep. to have you on the show. Congratulations again on being named the coach for T. Moore at the upcoming CHL-NHL Top Prospects game January 23rd in Red Deer. I know we won't have you on the show that night, but uh, the, the, our first talk after that will be fun. <laughs> Happy New Year, man. Okay. Okay, thanks. Same to you, Reed. Always great to have Kelly Rudy on the show. Uh, interesting stories. There are some guys he uh, did not like but then got along with, but not that Dave Carpa, the villain in Kelly Rudy's life. Just find out what Dave Carpa's doing. Get him and Kelly on the show at the same time. Maybe they can iron it out. Okay. The semifinal between the Finns and the Swiss at the World Juniors is eight and a half minutes old. It is 4-0 for Finland. USA won earlier, 2-1 over Russia. We'll get into a little World Junior chat with former Edmonton Oiler, born right here in Edmonton, Kent Manderville, when we get back to Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. J.C. Sherritt no longer a teammate of receiver Duke Williams. The Eskimos releasing Williams today to pursue NFL opportunities in the NHL tonight after the first period. Hurricanes up 2-0 on the Blue Jackets. Predators lead Detroit 1-0 in the first period. Stars up one zip on the Capitals. Sagan with his 14th of the season. And late in the second period, the Penguins with a 3-0 advantage on the Winnipeg Jets. Three other NHL games coming up later on tonight. Half an hour away from the start of the Oil Kings game at Rogers Place. They're taking on Victoria. Half an hour away from the start of the game at Claire Drake Arena as the U of A Golden Bears host the Manitoba Bisons. 
Still 4-0, Finland leading Switzerland, 7.40 left in the first period, World Junior semifinal. The other semi this afternoon, the U.S. getting by Russia 2-1. Okay, Kellen, very quickly here, Dave Karpa, the sworn enemy of Kelly Rudy, told okay. us the story in the last half hour of the show. He coached in the 16-17 season, he coached in a uh, Tier 3 Junior League in the United States, he coached the Peoria Mustangs. Okay. The, he was gone after the season, so that's the last I see on him. Did you remember that story from the Ontario Hockey League? The the Flint Firebirds in the OHL, they, they fired their coaches and the players got mad and walked out? Yeah, that was a few seasons ago, wasn't it? It was uh, in the 15-16 season. Mm-hmm. He was one of the assistant coaches. Oh. John Gruden, not the football coach, another John Gruden, was the head coach. Dave Carper was the assistant. The players walked out. Carper got reinstated as uh, assistant coach. And then in February of 2016, he was fired for real. Hmm. That was a that was a crazy because wasn't there something with the owner's son was on the team and yeah and the other players yeah. walked out and I think it was over ice time that he was getting or something yeah something like that so anyway Dave Carper we will have to we got to find Dave Carper now get her his version of those events and why he hates Kelly Rudy so much or at least Kelly felt like he hated him. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on six thirty. Chad Alex Chason expected to be back in the lineup. For the Oilers tomorrow against the Kings, I uh, could see Joseph Gambardella get assigned to Bakersfield. Chris Russell, I'll call him a game day decision as he tries to climb back uh, from, well, we think it's a groin injury. It's never actually been announced. This texture says, by the way, Redwater, like Evansburg, also only has a three-story apartment building, but we do have the world's tallest oil derrick at around 162 feet. Oh, pardon me, this texture then wrote back saying it's North America's tallest oil derrick. 162 feet, one of the originals used to do the drilling in this area back in the 50s during the boom days. Oh, there you go. We're talking about water towers cool. coming down. So Redwater still has the big oil derrick. That's cool stuff. You can text 630-630. Trainer Robbie says, great tune read. I love that Van Halen jam trivia question. What soundtrack is it from? That is an easy one. That is from Twister. Going green. One? What's that? Going green. Is that what they said in that movie? That's when the uh, little uh, tornado detecting unit that they launched. Oh, is that what they said? Turned on. It's like, going green. Uh, movie featuring, uh, was it Bill Paxton? Yes. Who has since left us, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And was Helen Hunt Helen not the Hunt. female lead? Yep. Uh, did Spielberg direct that? Or was he the producer? Mm. I think Spielberg might have directed that. Maybe. I just remember it wasn't that good. Of a movie, but it had the Van Halen song and it had the flying cow. Wasn't there the cow in the There was tornado? a flying cow, yes. Well, yeah, not with wind. It was, it was a cow propelled into the air. It well, wasn't flying under its own steam. One of the first things they ever put into a movie, I believe, that was CGI, a flying cow. Because this was mid-90s when it came out, right? So. And they, if you could computer generate something, you were doing it. That's they right. They going nuts. Well, I Absolutely. think they still are in some ways. It is 6.37. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Obviously, a lot of talk about the uh, World Junior Tournament. This guy, a former Edmonton Oiler, won two gold medals as a Canadian World Junior. Please welcome to Inside Sports, Kent Manderville. Kent, how are you doing? 
I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing awesome. It's it's great to have you on the show. Uh, good to catch up with a, a guy who spent a large part of his childhood in in northern Alberta. And because of your hockey career, you got to have a, a lot of great experiences uh, along the way. I mean, do you ever? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to look back on, but you must you must uh, do you ever have those pinch yourself moments where you think, man, I got to do all that. Yeah, you know what? It's true. It, it feels like a different lifetime, quite frankly, because, and people that know me now, so I'm now in Ottawa, and they'll kind of look at me saying, oh, I didn't know you played in the Olympics, or I didn't know you played World Juniors, and, you know, all these things before the age of 25 kind of thing. So, yeah, it feels like a different world, a different reality, but um, I don't dwell on it, but when I see former teammates and we talk about those memories, special times. Well, you got to play in, in the World Juniors twice, and uh, you got two gold medals, so pretty awesome memories there. And now, weren't you picked out of the, the NCAA both years to be on the team? Was that a, um, a different type of process for you, or you know, was it a different way of getting noticed than maybe guys out of major junior? Or what do you remember about making those teams? Well, it was... It was interesting because back then they were they started the program of excellence. So they had the under seventeen program that and I played for Team Pacific and I had some success there and so that was kind of the entryway into the Team Canada, Hockey Canada stream. So that was where they would sort of start identifying players. They didn't have an under-18 team like they do now. And then I think through scouting and with NHL drafts and whatnot, um, that's how they identify players. But you're absolutely right. Being in the NCAA, not really on anybody's radar. For me personally, I think it was helpful because Guy Sharon was the head coach my first year. And as a result, we had, I think, five players NCAA um, that year, which is quite high. And um, I guess it's just the way it worked out. But we still, we had a summer camp, uh, you know, like a training camp. And you had to prove yourself, and then we even had a full camp in December, too. So it was quite the rigorous process to get through it. But um, they had those identification camps early on, under 17 and whatnot, just to kind of get you into the system. You know, the the tournaments then were different. You know, Rob Brown and I talked about his experience in, in 88, going through that round, Robin. And for you guys in 1990, the first year you were on, you both finished... Canada and the Soviet Union both finished 5-1-1. One, and one. You won the head-to-head game against the Soviet Union, but you still had a couple of games after that. And I think you needed to, to win your last game against the Czechs and get a little help from Sweden to get the gold and everything fell into place. Exactly. And actually, when you look back on both years, we had that kind of scenario. In the first year, exactly what you said, we were in the middle of our game. We were playing Czechoslovakia. And we were up 2-1. And if memory serves me correct, in the other game, Sweden tied the Soviet Union in the last minute to tie it 5-all. And so we knew with about 10 minutes or whatnot left in the Czechoslovakia game, if we could hold on and win that game, we knew that we would win the tiebreaker and therefore the gold medal. So back then, though, it's funny. The Czech team, the Czechoslovakian team, was very good. They had uh, Robert Reichel, Jeremy Jager, and Bobby Halik 
and they must have played half the game. And they were just dominant. And of those three, the most dominant player of that tournament was none other than Robert Reichel. <laughs> Yager was good, but he wasn't the player that he was later on in the NHL. So we knew with about 10 minutes left, we needed to win that. And if we could hold on for those 10 minutes, we would get the gold medal. So as long as 10 minutes of my life. Yeah, that's an interesting scenario, finding out mid-game that the stakes just went up <laughs> quite a bit. That, that's the, that was a lot of... Absolutely. Yeah, and but, I think uh, when you watch a replay of the game, somebody pointed out, I think it was Bob McKenzie, who told one of the assistant coaches on the side of the bench, and then and we're in Turku, Finland. We weren't even in Helsinki at the time. It's a few hours away. So Bobby McKenzie told somebody on the bench, and it spread through us like wildfire. I don't think they wanted to tell us at first, but then, you know, we're all teenagers too, and then the nerves get in, involved too, but we hung on and we pulled it off. 1991 must have been pretty special because the tournament was hosted by the province of Saskatchewan and primarily in, in Saskatoon for the Canadian games. And it, it seems to me that's the one tournament people remember, Kent, where maybe the the hype level increased. I mean, uh, I think TSN got more involved that year. It was obviously in Canada, so everybody could watch the games at, at a normal hour, and it came down to a final showdown with the Soviet Union in a in a, in a passionate sports city. That must have been a... Well, I'm guessing, but let me, you can tell me, as much as the, the gold meant a lot both years, must have been a different vibe and a different level of hype in, in Saskatchewan. Absolutely. I mean, when we went over to Helsinki in uh, Finland the previous year, um, and you're absolutely right, TSN, the first year they covered the World Juniors was in Saskatoon. So the previous year in Helsinki, we had CBC um, covering it, and I think it was Don Whitman with Scotty Bowman did the color commentary. And so when we won, I mean, we were so happy in Helsinki. We were happy... It was like uh, celebrating in a, you know, nobody else was with us. You know, it was a dead quiet rink. Um, You know, you had to make your own excitement, enthusiasm. Fast forward one year, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the whole of Saskatchewan was with us. And and plus TSN, you know, this all sports channel comes into the, under the environment, and then you have this, uh, it was quite the scenario. So you have all these all these aspects kind of mixing together. Plus you had Eric Lindros, who he was going to be drafted that year. Yeah, he that was his draft year. Yep. So you had that hype. And then you had Pavel Bure playing for the Soviets. So that was big. And then, which kind of fell into our place, the Finns beat the Soviets the night before we played the Soviets to set up that final match. So we needed help from the Finns to beat the Soviets, and they did that, which is, you know, it was was a bit of an upset in itself. But that set the stage for that game. And then when John Slaney scored, I mean, I joke, when you see the goal... I'm the one jumping on to John after he scores. And, I mean, if I got a a dollar for every time the TSN replayed that, 
I'd be richer than Warren Buffett. I mean, the, it's this, and but that's what TSN does so well. They just the hype and the excitement, plus the arena. I mean, it was packed. Saskatchewan did such a wonderful job of hosting that tournament, and the excitement that they generated, it was fantastic. But because of John Slaney scoring that goal in a few minutes of a gold medal game, couldn't couldn't write a better script. Yeah, absolutely. Kent Manderville joining us on Inside Sports, sharing some of his World Junior memories. And, well, you mentioned hype and expectations and all that sort of stuff. It's always there for the World Junior team. Hey, this year it didn't work out. They kind of had a fluky goal go against them, and they lose in overtime to Finland. I'm always of the mindset, you know, it happens. Sometimes hockey can come down to a bounce or two or an inch or two. Uh, unfortunately, maybe some people didn't have that relaxed of an attitude towards it. Obviously, Max Comtois and his uh, agency posted a, a statement about some of the uh, abuse he'd, he'd taken online. You know, Ken, you, you went through that program, you went through that tournament, so you know about the hype and expectation. But, you know, when you see some of that, I don't even know what to call it. I guess I, I'm going to come out and just call it hatred uh, towards the yeah. team and some of the players. That, that must be pretty tough for you to see. Well, it's. I remember when we played in those tournaments, and even when we were in Finland, we went up and we did training up in a training area called Veramaki, where you're just isolated. When we were in Saskatchewan, they kept us basically under lockdown. Now you introduce social media, um, you know, mobile phones that you can always be contacted. It's incredible. Plus, you're basically giving everybody else a megaphone. Um, that can voice their emotional responses to whatever they're seeing. So it's a it's a tough situation. Plus, these kids, they're teenagers. You know, I mean, they're born in 2000. They're born in 99. Like, really, they're just teenagers. And plus, Hockey Canada, TSN, they've done a great job of marketing it. But it's become such a an event that you unleash these passions. And it's it's unfortunate that people have to get negative because, you know, you look at the dynamics, too. When I played, a lot of the younger players, they stayed and the NHL was older. Now all these guys are jumping ship. So you're not even a, having maybe the best junior age players. You're missing a Brady Kachuk or, you know, different players, Rasmus Dahlin, who could be playing in that World Junior Tournament that aren't, you know, you don't think Sweden missed him. So... It's a different dynamic, and then you just have that kind of outpouring of emotion. So it's unfortunate that that happened. I have a feeling that I think uh, a guy like Maxime Comtois, he'll he'll bounce back and he'll be fine. But you know, it's unfortunate that the that the kids have to go through that. Well said, Kent. One more for you, and we're going to have to have you on again because we we got a lot of things we can talk about. But I want to ask you this: When you are for you are a former Edmonton Oiler, you are a former Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, in the states, you got to play for Philadelphia and Pittsburgh with some great players and you know well-established hockey markets. And you also played for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, and you know, there's every year the story kind of with them is: Are, are they going to last another year or two? Uh, must have been a bit of a contrast towards uh, some of the markets you played in uh compared to carolina i would guess with the with the coverage and and the fan base absolutely and uh you know i was a little spoiled too when i first came into the league i was drafted by calgary went over in the doug gilmore trade to toronto 
And, you know, my first year in the playoffs, we get to the semifinals. We lose to L.A. Kings and, the, and Gretzky and, you know, the, the city and the hype. And then the next year we lost to Vancouver in the semifinals again. And you think, oh, it's like this every year. And you learn it's not. And then being back in Edmonton was fantastic. Very short time for me to be there, but I mean, obviously the passion is there being in a Canadian city, you're under the microscope, wonderful hockey market, and Carolina was tough. I mean, not only did we not even play in the home city of Raleigh for the first two years, we had to commute an hour and a half to Greensboro, but just the indifference, that's tough. So it's, um, but though when the team's winning and in those markets, the team has to win to compete for that entertainment dollar. When they're winning, they're fine. When they're losing, you've got ACC basketball, you've got NASCAR, you've got everything else. So as a player, tough to play in those markets when you don't have that kind of fan enthusiasm and that's what I I loved playing in Toronto and Edmonton even Philadelphia it's a great market those are great markets and they love their hockey so as a player you really relish those times when you're there well said well Kent thanks for sharing some of your memories of the World Junior Tournament and other parts of your career glad things are going well for you really appreciate you having on time for Inside Sports tonight thanks so much for having me really appreciate it Oh, that was great. Kent Manderville, 14-year NHL career, played for the Oilers, two-time World Junior gold medalist. Some great memories of uh, his gold medals, his time with the Carolina Hurricanes. And he was a part of that Maple Leafs team that went to Game 7 of the 1993 Western Conference Final. Were they still calling it the Campbell Conference then? They might have still been calling it the Campbell Conference. Uh, and lost to Wayne Gretzky, Kelly Rudy, and the Los Angeles Kings. We'll have to get Kent to talk about that someday. I don't know if they tracked ice time, but Doug Gilmore was probably playing something like 35 minutes a game for the Maple Leafs back in that playoff run. It is 651. You can text 630-630. Phone number 780-496-0063. Still ahead. Beloved Canadian sports broadcasting icon Ron McLean is going to be on the show. We'll set up the NFL playoffs this weekend as well. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. The Nuge having a great season for your Edmonton Oilers. Which way is it going to go? Halfway point tomorrow. Oilers at 19-18-3. They will visit the Los Angeles Kings. We have it for you on 630 Chad. Face-off show at 630. The game will start at 8. And then we have the game Sunday from Anaheim. 430 face-off show game at 6. Uh, man, fun first hour the show. We had Kelly Rudy on the show. Just had Kent Manderville checking in, former Edmonton Oiler, born here in uh, Edmonton. And I believe we had a text about Redwater. I believe Kent lived in Redwater as well for uh, a portion of his youth. He's now in Ottawa doing some work in the financial industry. Man, he was good. We'll have to get him on uh, again. Really good storyteller. A lot of experiences through his career. We didn't even talk about the fact he played in the 92 Olympics as well. Uh, I mentioned he was part of that 93 Toronto Maple Leafs team. Still one of the weirdest stats of all time, one of the most unexpected numbers that'll pop up. In the 1993 playoffs, the Toronto Maple Leafs played 21 games. They did not make the Stanley Cup final. The Montreal Canadiens played 20 games and won the Stanley Cup. 
The Leafs played three seven-game series, lost the third one. The Canadians went 16-4. They beat Quebec in six. They swept Buffalo, beat the Islanders in five, beat the Kings in five, won the Stanley Cup. Ten overtime wins for the Canadians and one of the greatest playoff goaltending performances of all time from Patrick Waugh. Anyway, the Eskimos also releasing Duke Williams to pursue NFL opportunities, so we'll see where he lands. We'll update the NHL scoreboard when we get back. Golden Bears and Oil Kings both getting underway. We will uh, do a little bit on the uh, first-round wildcard weekend of the NFL playoffs that goes tomorrow and Sunday. The Indianapolis Colts, they were down and out 1-5, and five, finished 10-6 to make the playoffs. We'll see how they turned it around with Kevin Bowen from 1070 The Fan in Indianapolis. And then we're, we're going to do it, Kellen. We're going to make our predictions for this weekend. Guaranteed to be correct. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.